Lazio indeed as today's show travels back to a time when Eagles dared the extraordinary Lazio of the early 70s described by one incredibly authoritative pundit as the craziest team ever and maybe the most heartbreaking and featuring of course the extraordinary Giorgio Canalia, Long John himself one of South Wales greatest gifts to the Italian game quite a story on the way plus our thoughts on the title race and Italy's clashes coming up with Argentina and England that's today's Golazzo. Ciao, James Horncastle. Hey, James. And the man who said, Lazio are probably the craziest team ever, Gabriele Marcotti. Willa. I'm sorry? I said Willa. Yeah, indeed. Sorry, I'm, uh, you, know, you guys are big on regional uh, accents and yeah. dialects. Mm. Yeah, so. Oh. Oh, exactly. Nice to see you, Gabriele. And a very special story. We're going to go a little bit further back than we customarily do. We're well outside our kind of 90s comfort zone here, but I think it's well worth it. Because as you were suggesting last week, Gabrielli, there are few, if any, teams worldwide who are quite as crazy as this particular gang. Uh, yeah, I think that's fair. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm sure we'll get into this, but you know, a team that in a space of five years wins promotion... Uh, as its manager die, as one of its key players die, um, gets a three-year ban from European football, um, has their star player go and nearly incite a riot in a Rome derby, as one Paolo Di Cagno would do many years later, a team that's gun-obsessed. Everything is just remarkable uh, about the story, but also, and lost in all this, was also a team that played some pretty nice football mm. um, at a time when... They were one of the first Italian sides to to try and go and uh, and and copy what uh, what the Dutch sides were doing, um, you know, in terms of total football. Now a lot of people said they played total football at the time, and it wasn't quite total football. And Cruyff would probably turn his nose up at it, but at least they tried. Right. Well, the year is 1973, and while in England Leeds were busy winning the title, Man United were getting relegated courtesy of Dennis Law, and you had dirty leads and the England side not qualifying for the World Cup and all that kind of thing. In Italy, well, it was a nation entering Liani di Piombo, the, the years of lead, uh, red brigade terrorism, neo-fascist terrorism, and the lines between the two getting crossed and blurred again and again. And, and the peninsula terrorised and polarised, really. And in the capital, the perfect team, the uh, emblematic team, really, of these times... A Lazio squad split down the middle, carrying guns, and about to pull off one of the most remarkable wins ever, led by Long John, Giorgio Canaglia, who sounded a little bit like this. What on earth is that sound, James Horncastle? <laughs> it's football crazy, Jimbo, by uh, Giorgio Kinali, which, as Gab was saying off air, was, uh, was part of a film. Because uh, Kinali, did he star in that film? With, uh, uh, in fact, he did, yes. Hmm? And who with, was his co star? With this obscure actress named Elizabeth Taylor. <laughs> wow. That's how big it was. I mean, serious, I, look, we talk about Cristiano today, right? Yes. I don't see no Cristiano going in films with, with Jennifer Lawrence, well, right? Stan Collymore did, um, what was the name of that film? Oh, with Sharon Stone, yeah, Basic, Basic Instinct, Instinct 2. 2. <laughs> yeah. yeah, which is, I guess, a similar Really deal. seek out the opening scene of that, because it's, uh, yeah. it's really something. It really is. <laughs> it's a really great shout, the parallel, the, the, the Stan Collymore, <laughs> Giorgio Quinalia shout. 
for everything from sort of politics yep. to larger than life mm-hmm. to well biceps. anyway let's let's talk a little bit about Canalia then because this is the early 70s and you hinted at, at the, the the magnitude of the the achievement of that Lazio team which which did a Leicester and and so much more well that's the thing i mean when people think of Lazio winning titles today the first team that comes to mind is the Cagliari era the 2000 team which was a super team you know which had so much money flung at it in order to assemble this group of superstars whereas this really wasn't you know it was a bunch of misfits as gab said at the top of the show you know they they won promotion they didn't sign really anyone from top clubs um yeah like juventus or milan um yeah these are all kind of players that either Tommaso Maestrelli, their manager, had worked with in the past with Foggia and took with him. Um, or guys had been really sort of jobbing around the second and third divisions for a long time. Kinalia, for example, was the first ever player to be called up for the national team at senior level whilst he was still playing in Serie B um, because he was what, completely tearing it up um, in that division, scoring 21 goals. So, you know, in that respect, for them to go you know, from Serie B to the top flight and Imme- challenge for the title up, up until the final day yeah. where, you know, they had a lot of suspicion about what went on at halftime in the Juventus-Roma game uh, where, you know, apparently they got together, said, well, we can't be, can't be having Lazio winning the league. Milan were, were at, this, at this moment in time losing against Verona and, you know, Juventus come back and, and win. Although uh, I think Lazio were playing away at Napoli in that game, which was pretty hostile because in the reverse fixture there'd been a massive brawl as there usually was with this team in which I think Kinalia had punched um, the the son of Napoli's kind of academy director okay and uh, as you do and uh, you know there are all sorts you know the the bus going to the San Paolo had had you know cans bottles thrown at it, it was punctured had to go rep go back so pretty mm-hmm. hostile stuff I think Lazio represented a certain type of of, of, of Italian culture at the time. I mean, obviously, you know, the connotations with with the right, the certain sense of entitlement, perhaps, um, were there. But it was above all, and, and certainly some players were very clear in identifying as being very pro-right wing at a time when... One of them you know, later represented the right wing in yeah, Parliament. Uh, and no, not that, just right wing as in kind of conservative, but quite extreme right wing. Yeah. yeah. But I think it also needs to be placed... In again, very much in the context of the time. I mean, you mentioned the the terrorism, and that was certainly very true. Both red brigades on the far left and their equivalents on on the far right. But it it went right down into the schools. I mean, you know, you you regularly had, you know, for whatever reason, you know, students like extremes. You know, I don't know what you were like when you were eighteen, but you probably weren't like, oh look, I'm centrist James Richardson. You know, look at me, I'm so wonderfully moderate. You know, most people are generally attracted to one end or the other at the spectrum in, in their youth. And, and in Italy, that translated a lot of times to, to fisticuffs. Also, this is also set against the backdrop of the Cold War. You know, Italy having the, the largest communist party um, in, in Western Europe. Mm. And um, also the, the, the Iron Bloc right on your doorstep, no? Well, you, yeah, just, you, we, we border Yugoslavia. Yeah. So, you know, that was, was, certainly, um, that was certainly a factor as well. Um, you had kind of, I think, because things back then tended to come late to Italy, you kind of also probably, you know, the 60s hit Italy in some ways a little bit later relative to 
to the U.S., so there was also a sense of a sense of free spirits, a sense of nonconformism, which weirdly was very much a factor of of the left, but also of the right, because again, it's hard for people from outside of Italy to understand this, but Italy is kind of like, or certainly was post-war, the ultimate uber-centrist nature, uh, nation, right? Always run by the same party, the Christian Democratic Party, which was a Catholic party. And so they like to, so you would call them conservative in some ways, but on the other hand, they had a massive welfare state because Catholics, you know, being good Christians, believe in taking care of the less fortunate and so on. So it was kind of like this big amorphous blob in the middle. So the way you rebelled against that was by going to the far left or, or indeed the far right. So I think all of this was reflected in this, in, in this group of players. Um, and as James said, a lot of them were misfits, a lot of them out of control. I mean, I, I don't want to jump ahead, but to give you an idea, and I think one of the more, most tragic stories that I can think of was that of, of Luciano Rececconi. So I will now, having told you, I don't want to jump ahead, jump, jump ahead, ahead, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> so Luciano Rececconi was, he was sort of the Billy Bremner to stay in the era of, of, of that team. You know, he was this sort of midfielder who ran around like a maniac, he had a big shock of, 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 of blonde hair. Um, he loved playing practical jokes. And this is two years after they won the title or, or maybe yeah, it was 77, 77, January 77. So he decides with a friend, um, to go into a jewelry store where they're actually, where, uh, they're actually going to buy the with the third person. The other person actually wants to go and do some business and they hang back. And, and he's a friend of theirs. Yeah. The, the guy who they're with. Yeah. Because yeah. they all live in this neighborhood, which is, which is the striking thing about it. Um, and they, they, they go in there. I think it's a cold day, so they kind of zip up their, their jackets so their necks are up, got their hands in their pockets, and they go up. And there's a lot of conflicting reports as to what they yeah. said. I mean, the, the, the guy who ended up, the jeweler, um, who ended, ended up shooting uh, Ray Ciccone, um, thought he heard, um, stop, this is a robbery. But the guy who was with Ray Ciccone, Gedin, who is, I think he's still the manager of Malta, is he not? I think so, yeah. Former um, said he didn't hear anything like that. Um, and because he had his hands in his pockets, um, you know, this guy basically just took out his gun and shot him. Um, and, yeah, I think that, that, that this, it's, it's a very weird case this. I think there's a lot of unanswered questions about well, the it. The famous quote is, it was only a joke, it was only a joke, that yeah, supposedly is Richard <laughs> last words, which suggests that he was, I mean, most accounts have him trying to play, a, give a bit of a scare to the, the jewellery I mean, like, we love our conspiracies in, in Italy, so maybe there was something else behind it. I would assume generally most people don't just go and shoot somebody for no uh, reason whatsoever. I mean, the, the context of this is this jeweler basically had been burgled a couple of times. He'd actually already shot one guy. So when he was taken into, into jail uh, whilst this case was, was going on, they had to put him in solitary confinement because he, he, he feared retribution um, from, from the guy who tried to burgle him in the past. And also, you know, there was you know, Lazio Ultras supposedly with connections in, in the jail who could get to him. Um, but you also, as... as the political context of all this, Liani di Piombo, mm. you have sort of um, people applying for gun permits in in uh, Italy. 1960, only 20,000. 1974, it jumps to 98,000. In 1976, it's 125,000. Yeah, so, 
you know, how well armed. <laughs> you talk about gun culture in the States at the moment. This Lazio team, for example, you know, when they went into Retiro before the games and they had that shooting range and just the range of weapons they had, M16s, elephant rifles, stuff like this, it's just absolutely bonkers. And the thing is, it's because normal to build a shooting range at the <laughs> training ground. I mean, I think Mourinho's got one at Carrington. Yeah, right? and, and and they got visited by the police one day because opposite the shooting range was a, a centre for disabled kids, kids with special needs. They'd found a bullet lodged into the wardrobe of one of these kids' dorm rooms because it had travelled from the range across the street into this into this place. But as I was saying, basically jewelers were always getting burgled. Um, you know, usually to finance terrorism. Um, and, and, and the thing is, no one would insure them because they were so regularly getting, <laughs> getting burgled. Insurers were paying out all the time, so they were making a loss on it. This is why you've got this very, I suppose, highly strung mm. um, owner of a jewellery store and this tragedy happens because of that, I suppose. And this is barely a month after the, the man who, the architect of Lazio's rise and then their Scudetto win, Tommaso Maestrelli, yeah. dies of terminal cancer, diagnosed while he was still Lazio manager a couple of, well, about 18 months before. I mean, Maestrelli, by all accounts, and I remember speaking to, to Giorgio Chinaglia about him, and Chinaglia said, you know, he, he's the only guy who ever, who ever understood me. Mm. Uh, the only guy in football, I should say. By all accounts, he was sort of this this father figure who knew how to keep them just wound up to, to just the right amount. Even though the team, you know, they were the ultimate bad boys and colorful and whatever, the amazing thing about it is they were deeply, deeply split into factions. Um, you had one faction led by, by Peter Wilson and Giorgio Quinalia, and then you had what you might call the fascist faction, even though <laughs> even though George Quinalia himself has certainly right-wing leanings, um, which was led by, by, by Martini and, and, and guys like that. And on Thursdays back then, it was customary in Italy, you know, you'd kind of have like a full um, scrimmage. As the story goes, back then, chin pads weren't uh, mandatory in Serie A, but Maestrelli made sure that they were mandatory for the Thursday inter-squad scrimmages because basically these things, because because Quinalia was just such an enormous bully and because Martini kept his guns locked away, these games would go on until Quinalia's team drew or won. And there were, there were regularly fights breaking out and it got really, really, I mean, there was some serious, serious acrimony. And the way he managed to keep it together um, on the on the pitch, and he got them to to produce as a collective is just remarkable. And they tell a, a great story um, where I think they were playing at, uh, against Verona, and this was after a particularly bad week, and they're losing. I think it was two one at, at, at halftime. They're at home; it's a packed stadium. The crowd are murmuring. You know, they're they're kind of getting on the players' backs because they can tell the players are shouting at each other. They really don't like each other. So they come off the pitch and they go towards the dressing room, and Maestrelli standing in front of the dressing room and he's saying like, no, you guys are going to turn around and you're going to walk back out onto the pitch. There's no halftime for you. And so they all kind of wander up back out on the pitch and the whole crowd's like, what's, what's going on? All of a sudden the crowd just starts cheering and, and, and just singing their names and, and whatever. And the players say, my God, you know, we're not going to screw this up just because we hate each other. Let's put this to one side. And second half starts, and within seven minutes, they've scored three goals, and they're on their way. I mean, that was a psychological masterstroke from Maestrelli, yeah. because the reason why he stood in front of the dressing room door is because he knew if they got into the dressing room, they would just tear each other to pieces. Yeah. <laughs> but Maestrelli, I mean, he's a great story in himself, because this is, 
yeah, Lazio's first title-winning manager, former captain of, of AS Roma. Roma, albeit in their worst period. And <laughs> That's um, why they liked him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, yeah, he had been a player in the past. Yeah, he was playing, I think, in the second division with Bardi when, when the Second World War broke out and had to go and fight um, in Yugoslavia. Um, and his company, I think one day, was ambushed. And yeah, he became a prisoner of war um, for for a year. Um, I think he was he was also hurt um, during the conflict. I think uh, he was hit by shrapnel, broke his tibia and his, his right foot, which for a player in in those days could have ended his career. And you know, made his way back. I think what in 1944 resumed his football career and seems to have been loved by these players. I mean, I think yeah. um, Gavin and I were just talking about um, you know watching some of the clips from this era on YouTube mm. and you see some of the players just break down talking about him um, in tears and Kinalia who obviously um, you know went and made his career in, in the US um, and went to live there um, afterwards you know his family had his body brought back to Italy and he's buried beside Maestrelli um, really? yeah in 2012 wow yeah. so tragedy was to await them both of the death of Maestrelli and Ray Cecconi Long John Kinalia left before Ciccone died, actually, in well, he, 76. He abandoned them. I mean, this is yeah. this, he abandoned them when Maestrelli comes back mm. um, after, obviously, um, contracting this terminal cancer. You know, after about, I think, what, maybe nine months, he basically comes to save the team, which were in, in at risk of relegation. I think they were bottom of the table when he comes back. Kinalia, who in this time had really fallen out with the guy who stood in, um, for for Corsini, uh, yeah, for Maestrelli, because Maestrelli essentially treated um, Kinalia like he was his son, um, like he was different from everybody else. Um, Corsini treated Kinalia like he was just anybody, and obviously Kinalia did not like that at all. But uh, Maestrelli comes back, and Kinalia just he flees. I mean, that's that's the way they say it. It, it wasn't a case that he already had a deal. He he fled. To go and join the cosmos, he and had play to with Pele and, and Beckham, yeah. and which then also apparently inspired a song as well. Was it the Rino Gaetano, mm. where he says, you know, the song has a line, which is "My brother's an only child," which is apparently a great film, by the way, film. Yeah. you know, yeah. directly referring to to Giorgio Quinalia. Listeners, if you want to combine your knowledge of the footy with your knowledge of the footsie, then you need to get yourself over to the football stock market, Football Index. Football Index is a new way to profit from your knowledge of City A, the Premier League, and beyond. Buy and sell players, build a portfolio, earn dividends, and sell at a profit. Because you listen to Golazzo, you can try Football Index and trade up to £1,000 entirely risk-free. Just head to footballindex.co.uk, enter the promo code TOTALLY, and if you don't love Football Index, you'll get a full refund with a seven-day money-back guarantee. Download the app or play online at footballindex.co.uk and become a football trader today. TNCs apply. You must be over 18. Deposit required. And please trade responsibly. Before all the tragedy struck, you had the 73-74 season and the YouTube clips are there. But, I mean, I never really saw them play. People say they play great football. Gab, did you ever see any proper matches of theirs? How old do you think I am? No, no. What I mean, I don't. <laughs> I mean, not being there, but did you ever? I don't know. If no, ever, I. You only see YouTube highlights. All right, they seem fo- to be, a, as you say, a pretty advanced team. They do. for that era, but you don't hear much about them. And part of the reason for that is the European ban they had, because of what happened against against Ipswich. 
Now, Bobby Robson's Bobby Robson's Ipswich, and the enormous brawl that broke out in November in Rome when uh, Ipswich, who were four 0 up after the first leg, came to the Olimpico, and, and Lazio were well up for it. I mean, well, two 0 up. One of the reasons was because um, a Roma supporters delegation had been to see Ipswich and the hotel the, the night before the game, and they obviously had no idea who these guys were. And they came in and they had a photographer with them, and they basically made them honorary Romanisti. Um, for the disservices that they'd done to Lazio. Yeah, thanks for uh, that. <laughs> yeah, so that that whipped things up quite a lot. So uh, th- the accounts are wildly different. Lazio's accounts tend to involve the referee being drunk <laughs> and uh, a succession of really dubious uh, refereeing decisions which cost them. And judge for yourself. Obviously, okay. the way this is cut doesn't have every incident. I mean, yeah. what's nice is they lost the first leg 4-0. If you were to lose the first leg 4-0 today, unless you're... Deportivo La Coruña against Milan. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying you'd put out a shadow side, right? But I, it's really hard psychologically to get into the, the into that that sort of mind frame. But back then, football was different. I mean, they didn't know who the hell Ipswich were, or Bobby Robson. You know, you didn't have satellite television. There was no there was no internet back then. It was just some team that had beaten them four 0 and they said, you know, guys, yeah, we can really do it. We can come back. I mean, today. And I know it only happened last season, but today, you know, it takes something truly extraordinary. Back then, people really thought that they could do this. and mm. so Well, they couldn't, as it turned out, but it did seem like they could when they went 2-0 well, up. 2-0 up after 10 minutes. 2-0 yeah. up after 10 minutes, and then an Ipswich player saved the ball on the goal line. The YouTube highlights, it does look like he handled it. Oh, like, mm. It looks like he actually yeah. punches it out. And Lazio say their biggest complaint is they talked to the referee, and the referee was slurring his speech. And I always wonder, actually, in general, when players talk to the referees... And they have these animated discussions. In what language is In it? In what language? Because I, <laughs> whatever, that, that, that's a whole other thing. But um, so that got them more wound up. And then Brian Hamilton, who of course is Danny Welbeck's dad, cheated to win a penalty. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> Brian out of it. Um, but then the real flashpoint was later. Was it a. Well, there was well, a the, penalty the, given. Ipswich that, get a penalty. Yeah. And I think it's Oddi um, who basically bundles this guy. Well, he doesn't, he says, I didn't touch him, and he just fell over. Yeah. And Ipswich put the penalty away. Right. It's Welbeck Senior. It's Welbeck I mean, Senior. Let me recycle yeah. the Welbeck joke. Yeah. Well, anyway, so, um, so maybe Welbeck. they had grounds for it, or maybe they didn't. But the result was one of the biggest brawls that you've ever seen yeah. in a European and game, which continued in the players' tunnel. I have a lot of sympathy for Ipswich because back then mm. there was no Ryanair either. You know, you went to the you went to Europe back then. You went to the continent. It was scary and different, and nobody spoke English. Yeah, and, and their fans. They're as well. surrounded by these lunatics and. I'm pretty sure they didn't bring their guns into the stadium that day, but, you know, Giorgio Kinalia could be a pretty scary guy whether he was packing or not. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there's that Rome derby, which Gab alluded to earlier, oh, yeah. where basically Kinalia, before the game, he, he he's in the tunnel and he goes into the Roma dressing room, just knocks on the door, opens it, and he goes, I'll see you all outside. And that was basically, it, it all started from there, really. Wow. I'd love it if Paul Pogba did that. <laughs> no, seriously. And I bet Mourinho would too. But he does it, and then they win the derby. There's like twice the legal capacity at the Stadio Olimpico. Everybody's going nuts. There's a million cops. Common sense prevails. The Lazio players say, okay, we've won. Let's go to our dressing room and celebrate. Maestrelli's getting everybody back. Okay, there's Frustalupi. Uh, there's Recciacone. There's this one. Well, also, Wait. Yeah, because they're getting like pelted. The, well, Lazio, yeah. the Lazio players are getting pelted by oranges, coins, they, bottles and everything. It's just totally unsafe. So all you want to do is just get your guys back before anybody reacts foolishly or pulls out a gun. Um, and he's like, everybody, okay, a head count, everybody's here. Wait, where's Kinalia? And you look up, 
And as this is going on, Quinalia runs the length of the pitch to the Cur- Roma Curva, right under the Roma Ultras, and he he runs past them with his with his with his finger with his index finger um, up in the air, which became kind of like the ultimate insult to the mainstream because you know within Rome Roma are kind of the establishment. Only one person since then has ever dared do that, and. Um, and that, of course, was Juan Paolo Di Cagno, who, of course, because Di Cagno did it when he was still a teenager after scoring in a derby. But that's a whole, that's an argument. It's a discussion for another time. But mm. safe to say, I think Paolo would have fit in pretty well in this team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So um, that Lazio team, why is it because they didn't get to play the European Cup because of the ban that they got for this, this the, 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 the mini riot with, with Ipswich? Is it because of him telling the Italy manager to... Vaffanculo. Why is that Lazio and especially Canalia not more well known internationally? A legend for Lazio I, I, fans. I think. I mean, I, I think certainly European ban had a lot to do with it. Yeah. You know, those those were three years that they didn't get to win in Europe. And as history tells us, you know, who won in those three years? The evil German Empire of Bayern Munich, right? Rafael Honigstein wouldn't be running around quite so <laughs> smug had it not been for Brian Hamilton and, and that game against Ipswich. Well, that's. Um, but I, I think it's partly that there is this whole sort of bittersweet notion of what could have been if they'd been a little bit more sane. And Maestrelli believed in them. Remember, after the 74 World Cup, Italy were terrible. They stunk so it up. the so, 74 World Cup itself is worth mentioning because Italy go into that as massive favourites, like one of the favourites. And Germany, as you say... Yeah, they were finalists when, in 1970. Right. They hadn't they, conceded a goal in almost two years yeah. with Zoff between the posts. And the, their first game is against Haichi and everybody's, well, we're going to rock this one. Yeah. And what happens? They won. They won three one. But after going a goal down, <laughs> yeah. again, that's the match when Canalia is taken off by Valcareggi and and tells the entire bench to f themselves. Yeah, it was not really a good thing to do, especially back then, and it still is today. Italian football is actually fairly militarized. They don't. We don't really go for sort of the nonconformist type, um, and yeah, not not a smart thing to do. Um, but yeah, no, then, then Italy lost to, they lost to Poland mm. and they drew with somebody else, I think. And, uh, and, and they went out after that world cup, uh, you know, they're like, what are we going to do? They offered the national team job to Maestrelli. And it was just pretty remarkable. And you think, cause you knew that Maestrelli was going to bring Quinalia back, but that's how desperate they were. And, and that was the respect in which they hold, they held Maestrelli singing like, all right, we're going to rip it up for you. You can come here. You can even bring that Quinalia chat back. And you're going to make this work because we've got some good young players. We know we're good. You're the missing link. And instead, my, what does Maestrelli do? He says, no, he stays at Lazio, which I, I, I think just, just really unbelievable and tells you a lot about the sort of person he was and, and the relationship he had with the club and, and with those players. One of the reasons why they're not maybe as well known as they perhaps sh- should have been is because relatively speaking, they, they flamed out pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they, they get promoted you know, within what six years of winning the league title, they're back in the second division, mm. relegated in in the Calcio Scommessi scandal. That figurehead of theirs, you know, Maestrelli, you know, dies what in 1976, had been suffering a long illness, and their their heads, I would say, were elsewhere. They were thinking about him. They, they yeah, whoever came in for him, he was never their guy. Plus, as you say, Canalia had meanwhile done one mm. to to the states. His, his wife's American. And I think he also has said that part of the reason was he was he was scared of kidnapping. 
of being kidnapped. Yeah. And he decided so many different things in different times. I mean, I, I, I got to know him a little bit. I thought he was a, a remarkable person in, in many different ways. Someone who's had a lot of time to reflect on many choices he made in his career that maybe he could have, uh, he could have made different choices and maybe things might have might have ended up better. But I think the combination of that and Reciconi's passing as well, yeah. which really was was just such a shock. You know, again, whether you buy the conspiracy, whether you really think he's is a sheer dumb luck, sent them horrific luck, and yeah, it certainly sent them. So they certainly sent them on their way. So he goes off to New York, plays alongside Pele, and Bing Canalia tells him to do a bit more work. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, he really did. Yeah. <laughs> well, but the thing about Canalia is, even if you don't like him, I mean, all right, for those who've never seen him and those who don't know, I sort of wonder, you know, what is he like? And I've had this discussion with Canalia, and he disagreed with everything I suggested. Right. I generally think of, of a Christian Vieri type because he sort of had sort of this, this huge upper body and sort of this, this hunchback. Yeah. He was extremely mobile, and he, 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 he wasn't just a target man. You know, he, he, would, he would pop up on the wing and so on. He set up Fabio Capello's goal in 1973 at Wembley, the first time Italy beat England at Wembley. So, yeah, maybe a cross between Christian Vieri and somebody who worked harder than Vieri. Mm. <laughs> I mean, the other know? issue about Canaglia and his legacy... Who also ended up in the States, Christian Vieri. <laughs> yeah, this is true. Who's in the States now? He's in yeah. Miami. Yeah. But I wonder how much of his non-conformity... And, and who also grew up abroad. Yeah. In Australia. There we go. So true. So the other thing about Canaglia and his legacy is the fact that, A, there was a black market against him for leaving. And secondly, he made various returns. Now, I, I actually met him a couple of times in the early 90s when he was kind of being wheeled out by Lazio as a club symbol to welcome Paul Gascoigne with with whom it was felt he would have a certain affinity both coming from British backgrounds yeah (laughs) and also a certain perhaps mentality Uh, I wonder how much of that mentality did come from growing up in in Wales Mm. um, in in what the 60s because you know when he's playing in what third division for Swansea um, and yeah his his dad and his dad's best mate basically look at him and think, yeah, you can do better than this. Let's get you back to Italy. Well, he also had his national service, I believe. Yeah, but like he, he, he gets this contract with this club in the third division and basically they, they send him this letter and he's like, this is what we expect of you. And you know, he goes over and he does the preseason and it's very monastic. You know, it's that classic Italian training camp where you have to be up at this point. We're going to do this much running. You need to be in bed by this time. You can only eat this. You can only drink that. And yeah, this guy sort of in, in Cardiff and in Swansea had been used to sort of you know, going out to pubs, you know, smoking, drinking with his drinking with his teammates. This Italian culture, even though he, he was born in it, it was completely alien to him, no? It's yeah, that, that that so yeah, that nonconformity I think again is not co- only because he was a particular personality, but because of, you know, where he was brought up, I suppose. So out out he trots in the early nineties for various things with with Paul, and he's still involved with the club at that time. But then, after Cragnotti goes and Lotito takes over, things get quite bitter. Uh, he'd already been uh, Lazio president back in the 80s, no? Not with any great uh, success. 83, 83. Then after the year 2000, when the fans are unhappy, or there are moves to bring in a, a, a takeover bid for, for Lazio, Canalia is chosen as the front man and ends up having to leave the country because there's quite serious allegations about the money behind this or the people behind this being either organized crime or money launderers and he 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 disappears back to 
the States and never returns and, and dies ultimately there, aged only 65 in, in 2012. It was a Hungarian pharmaceutical company, That's as right. I recall. Yeah. yeah. When I spoke to him, he said maybe I was tricked and I wanted to believe them, but to this day, I don't think that there's a, that there's a strong case to be made that they're not genuine. When it comes to the ultras who, you know, at that point were threatening Claudio Lotito, because obviously no sane person with a heart or a soul can like Claudio Lotito, <laughs> just not possible, right? So, but the Lazio ultras were thinking, oh, these guys have money and so on. Some of those ultras have some dubious links. It got so to the point where people were basically accusing Quinalia of fomenting the ultras to essentially shake down Lotito so that Lotito would sell at a knockdown price. Now... Lotito wouldn't sell you his used toilet paper at a knockdown price. So why you would think that this was going to work, you know, because Lotito's not scared of anything. And the, I, and the reason why they were going with the ultras was because Lotito was taking their privileges away. And they'd had very handsome privileges on the Cranioti when it came to serving, mer um, selling merchandise, from getting, getting tickets. And yeah, Lotito, I think still to this day, has, a, has police protection after what, oh, yeah, yeah, what, yeah. what had gone on in those days. He's had a different set of threats against he was, him. You know, he was being sent bullets in the post. Um, I don't think at that stage of his life, Kinalia was doing this for personal enrichment or anything nefarious or to get one over on Lotito. I mean, I think his intentions, and again, maybe I'm being, maybe I've been totally fooled. He's passed on. We don't know, mm. but I... Certainly, Giorgio Canaglia, I knew and spoke to, really took to me as somebody who, who knew he'd screwed up, but he said, you know, I, I was taken for a ride. Mm. You know, I was used. I, I believed them, and I shouldn't have. Well, a lot of bad choices along the way, but also one particularly glorious period of football, which he played such a big part of. And we'll, we'll close off this section then with Lazio's very own salute to their first ever Scudetto. <laughs> Listeners, it's time to talk about shaving. It's time to talk about Harry's. Harry's have got everything you need for a high-quality shave at a better price. Their cucumber and aloe shave gel lathers into a luxurious foam, allowing their German-engineered blades to glide across your face. These blades sit in a non-slip handle with a textured grip for extra precision, and Harry's post-shave balm will leave you extra cool and fresher than ever. Because you listen to Galazzo, you can get a special Harry's trial set, including that aforementioned handle, in your choice of blue, orange or green, a five-blade cartridge, the foamy shave gel and a travel blade cover. You'll get all of that delivered to your door for just £3.95 and it doesn't come in an envelope or a jiffy bag, it comes in a Harry's branded cardboard box. And if that cardboard box isn't enough to incentivize you, if you don't love your first shave with Harry's, you'll get your money back. Find out more at harrys.com slash golazzo. That's golazzo with one L and two Zs. That's the sound of us fast-forwarding to the very current times of 2018. And last weekend in Syria, which saw some interesting things, Milan continuing their great domestic uh, run. Second best record in the league in 2018. Wow. Inter solidifying their claim on a top four spot with a whopping, because we were previewing, 
Sampdoria Inter and, and, and how strong Samp are at home and that in to go there and win 5-0 with four goals from Mauro Icardi boom you know Inter without Icardi is kind of like wham without George Michael yeah that's so true they're fourth one point clear of Lazio now with a game in hand Milan five points behind them and I think the other thing that's worth mentioning well there's probably loads of other things but definitely the top the fact that I think People maybe thought, oh, you've ever gone four points clear. Here we go. But now it's back to just two with the clash between Napoli and Juventus still to come. And I was reading in today's Gazetta that Maurizio Sarri's record in spring is much better, almost twice as good as Allegri's record in spring, often because Allegri's dealing with European uh, issues at, at the same time. Yeah, well, that's the thing. And I suppose Milan have an opportunity to be kingmakers in this Ooh. because they, they still have to play Juventus, they still have to play Napoli. I think Juve have got the tougher running, um, not only because they've got uh, a couple of legs against Real Madrid at the very least uh, to contend with. I think the first one is after the game against uh, against Milan, but they still Plus have to the play final against Manchester City. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, they've still got to play the Derby d'Italia against uh, against Inter. I think that's at San Siro where they lost mm. last year, um, and this and this Napoli game. So Juve um, obviously have a very good track record of of managing uh, leads. Um, but um, this certainly isn't over. But we're going to have to wait for the next instalment of the uh, Lotta Scudetto because it's International Week. Uh, an International Week which features two prestige friendlies uh, for Italy. Both in England. Both in England. So get along, if you will, to Wembley next Tuesday to see them take on the three Lions. Yeah, where DiBiagio is hoping to do a Southgate. You know, he wants to become the permanent manager of right. the national team. Nice. You know, that's his, that's nice. his inspiring Gigi, example. Gigi, Gigi you know? <laughs> who's, who's taken over from Ventura. Uh, but his first game will be on Friday, this coming Friday, at the Etihad in Manchester as uh, the Azuri take on Argentina. Two games, I think it's safe to assume, were made with a view to warming up for their World Cup participation. Uh, and it's kind of obviously not worked out that way for for Italy. In fact, Argentina tried to cancel. Oh, did friendly. they? Yeah, because Italy hadn't qualified and they were worried that Italy were going to send a shadow squad filled with kids and it wasn't going to be proper Well, it is a, it is a squad f- filled with a certain number of kids, isn't yeah, it? Gigi Buffon? Kids. <laughs> Gigi Buffon, yeah. Like, seriously, I mean, this has caused a lot, of, a lot of debate about what you should do in these situations. Right. Given that Gigi DiBiagio coached the under-21s, I would have wanted him to be like, all right, just call up all the under 21s. If you want to bring in a couple old guys to get some cheapo caps, hmm. that's fine. But you're not going to be the long-term manager. You think he's not? I don't think so. But your best case is to go and sh- and bring in kids and show that the kids can hold their own, at least on paper and friendlies against Argentina and England, then bring in the veterans who, I mean, I'm sorry. I, okay, Giorgio Chiellini, of course, picked up a mystery injury, so he's not there. But like, if, if, you're, if you were one of those guys... Are you going to be thinking about the Champions League and the title run-in and qualifying for top four? Or are you going to be thinking... Yeah, but all players will this weekend, no? I know, but the under-21 guys... I would at least be fighting. But I, if I you, think so. If you port the and entire And it's a good under-21 team. Yeah, but if you port them in just en masse, isn't there a, a danger of them being w- a little bit out yeah, of their what? depth? I, I don't need to see Darmian play for Italy. You know, I, I really don't. I know what he brings to the... I'm not making fun of him. He's not playing for, for, for Manchester United. Uh-huh. But I know what he brings to the table. Mm-hmm. You know, I think people want to see something different. Some people who will be part of the future. So, he's brought in 
who's there? Cristante, Cutrone, Pellegrini, Chiesa. There's various other options who would be there, I think, arguably, if they weren't injured or, in inverted commas, or Bernadeschi, Romagnoli, Caldara, Conti. One of the big debates is is a situation with Buffon. Minoraila mm. um, uh, came out and in a very Minoraila way because obviously Buffon standing in the way of Donnarumma. And there's this argument which I hate, which really, really bugs me, which says, oh, look, he's only nine games away from the all-time appearance record, which is held by some Saudi guy nobody's ever heard of. Um, he already has the record within Europe. I mean, why don't we just keep Gigi around? And I say, first of all, that's humiliating towards Gigi. Second of all, it gets in the way of other goalkeepers who actually will be around long term. Third of all, I don't think there's any argument, as much as I love him, that he's Italy's number one goalkeeper on merit right now, leaving aside going forward the future. I'm all for sentimentalism, but, but not now. What, what do you think about the rest of the team, the squad? Well, I think the other big debating point is the fact that Mario Balotelli is not in the squad again, even though... Mino Raila, funny enough, it's something to say about that too. Yeah, it's yeah, it's funny that uh, you know, these Raila clients either get overlooked or just not picked at all. Um, but um, I think Balotelli deserves to be there on merit. And yeah, you have all these managers now, Ventura and also Di Biagio, who've been asked about them and, who, and have made sort of reassuring noises about picking him, always, almost given the impression that they were going to do it and then don't do it. It's getting to the point where it's it's just bizarre um, because yeah, for for what he's done over the last two years, mm. the suggestion would be that particularly after the last World Cup, there was a strong it's four feeling. years ago. Yeah, but there was but a those strong, guys are gone. But the, when some of them aren't, well, the, with Gigi perform for a start, and some of them have been very keen to say, okay, but we'd have him finish, back. Okay, but just to finish off, the, the notion would be that he was such a disruptive presence that whatever he might have done at various clubs in which where there may have been allowances made, when he's been with Italy in the past, it hasn't worked out. And therefore, because the chemistry of a team is, is, a, is a huge thing... As it was under Ventura. As it was under Ventura. <laughs> I guess that would be the argument. I would love to see him uh, back in an Azuri shirt. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Because at the moment, these are just friendlies. I'm, I'm pretty sure he was four years younger four years ago. I, I can't be 100% certain, but I'm pretty sure... <laughs> <laughs> and then he might have evolved a little bit. Sure. And really, in the last 12 months, I mean, he had a few issues at the beginning in Nice, mm -hmm. but he's generally been on very good behavior yeah. on and off the Have page. you heard any of these crazy Balotelli stories that we used to find all the time in the tabloids over here, which may or may not have been true? He was the subject of one of those sort of um, practical joke shows with a, with a hidden camera called Scherzi Parte. I'm not going to go into the whole thing, but like he meets this other like African guy who's introduced to his, his Mario's brother's internet. The guy ends up like stealing his car and his mobile phone, and he drives around, drives around Milan picking up, picking up like fake prostitutes and stuff. And Mario has to hunt him down. And in the end, when he well, you just you it's just, pretty just, elaborate. I I mean, it's remarkable the way they did it with hidden cameras or whatever. Just when you expect Mario to just like just lose it. And go and just 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 destroy this guy after he crashes Mario's car and everything. He just breaks out laughing and starts hugging everybody, you know, including the the, the fake hooker and, and stuff like. That. I mean, it's, it's pretty remarkable stuff. <laughs> All right. Oh, good. It's a shame. I'd love to see more of that in the Italian national side. But the, the team that will be taking to the field against whoever Argentina pick. Uh, on Friday, are you excited? Are you know optimism about this? There's a lot of talk in the papers about it being an Italian spring. Etc. Well, there was talk about this 
last summer when the under-21s went and played at the Euros, and it is a very good under-21s side. That's mm. why, basically, Di Biagio should, I think, just have had a continuity squad selection with the, the team that he's been playing pretty much with the under-21s. Because... Mm. That team is familiar with each other. You know, they've spent an entire summer together, right. you know, rooming, training together. We should see. That's coming up on Friday anyway, then England on Tuesday, which is always a fun game and so many memories. But maybe they'll be for another time, maybe next week, when we'll be meeting again the day after the Wembley Clash. Yeah, we can talk about that then, if you want. I'm sure there's loads of other things we can discuss as well. We'll have a think about what they might be. And then we'll be back here on Wednesday week. So I do hope you'll join us, listeners. Many thanks, Gabriele. Pleasure. We're all going to be a week older in a week's time. <laughs> yeah. But wiser, we will have evolved a whole seven days. Yeah. Yeah. Like Mario. Like, yeah. And, and also to you, Mr. Horncastle. Uh-huh. And you, listeners. We'll see you next week for now. It's a Rivadurci. You've been listening to Golazzo, the totally Italian football show. It's a Muddy Knees Media production, and for sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Game of Our Lives is a new podcast series hosted by the football historian David Goldblatt. The first episode is out now and focuses on the cinema of the pitch. Here's a taster with filmmaker Werner Herzog giving his view of your typical Super Sunday from a cinematographer's perspective. I like to see a wider shot of the field and how the entire field all of a sudden is moving. What is the opponent's team doing? How do they move their entire team uh, a little bit more to the left or to the right? Uh, so I, I like to see certain patterns that emerge very quickly. If you want to learn more about why football matters, make sure you listen to Game of Our Lives on Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand.